Well, hey, welcome to First Church Live. So glad you guys are joining us. I know we have people all over Northeast Oklahoma and across the country that are worshiping with us right now. So if you guys here at North Granite Wood, would you put your hands together? Welcome in our online family. And before we get started, I just want to say a special prayer for all of our teachers and parents and students who are starting back school this week, whether that's virtual or maybe that's in person. I know other school systems started back last week, and we just want to pray for our community right now because this is an odd and difficult time. So let's just take a quick moment to lift up all those individuals in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for today, and we thank you for this chance we have here to worship. And right now during this odd season that we're in where so many people are going to be doing virtual school and others are going to school but having to wear a mask and there's other social distancing practices they have to do, Father, we just lift up all of the teachers and parents and students who are having to go through all this. No one likes the situation that we're in right now. And so as awkward and as different as it is, I just pray that you give everyone involved at the start of this school year strength and encouragement and peace. And may we, together as a community, love like your son. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. All right, well, thank you for a chance to do just that. Well, I want to start off by asking a question, and when it comes to driving, how many of you guys, by a show of hands, have ever had the experience of running out of gas? Anybody ever had the experience of running out of gas before? Okay, several of you, more than what I thought. If you're watching right now online, go on and put that in the hub. If you've ever had that experience, just say yes, that you have. Well, I've actually never had that experience, but I've come pretty close. The first car I ever drove was a 1989 Buick LeSabre. Now, it's sporty looking, I know, but this was my first car and I love this car. You know why? Because it was cheap, for one thing. I could afford it. It had got great gas mileage. It had a V6 engine, so this puppy could fly. By the way, mom and dad, if you're watching right now, you didn't hear that, but it could. It could fly, and I was like the first person in my friend group that had a car, so we all loved it. It was great, but there was one problem with this car besides the look. Uh, the problem was its gas, gas gauge was broken. The gas gauge was broken. And so the way that you knew to fill it up was by keeping track of the mileage. And I would sometimes forget and not pay attention. And I had several close calls. One time my dad borrowed the car and he thought there was enough gas in it and there wasn't. And he ran out of gas. He was the only one that actually ever did in this car. And I remember he was mad forever. I only ever borrowed my car again. But I had a lot of close calls in this car. I also had a close call when I first started in ministry. I was asked to do a funeral one time for somebody at our church who passed away, and you may have heard me tell the story before. After the funeral was done, I got in my truck at that time and got ready to take off in the funeral procession, and I thought we were going to bury this person uh, in the cemetery that everybody locally got buried at, just down the street from the funeral home. And so we took off, and we passed by that cemetery, and I started to look through all of my papers and stuff I had in my truck, and I realized that we were actually going to a cemetery that was two hours away, and I looked down at my gas gauge, and I had less than a fourth of a tank of gas, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to make it, so we're in this funeral procession. I see a gas station along the highway, and I just decide I'm going to have to stop, and so I pull off at this gas station, but something you may not know, they typically put the preacher at the front of the line, so all the cars in this funeral line followed with me into this 
gas station. Not my best moment in ministry, honestly, but it did happen. And just a few weeks ago, I had a similar situation, not a similar situation, but a situation where I almost ran out of gas. Allison, the kids and I, we were traveling several hours away and we're in the car and I was trying to time it just right to where we stopped as few times as possible because with kids, it can take you a long time to get somewhere. So I wanted to try to make our next stop a stop for gas and to eat at the same time. So I'm pushing it. You know, I'm trying to make sure that I go as far as I possibly can. The kids are asleep in the back seat, so I'm making good time. And Allison looks over at the gas gauge and she says, you know, you might need to fill up. And I'm like, oh no, I'm fine. I'm trying to time this just right so we can stop and get gas and eat at the same time, not have to wake up the kids yet. And she was just like, no, you're making me uncomfortable. You might need to stop and get gas. Like, I'm good. I'm good. So we drive a little bit further. The gas light comes on and I'm like, okay, next exit that I see, I'll stop to get gas. We drive for like 20 more miles. There's not an exit anywhere where we could get gas. I didn't know that interstate very well. And so I start to panic just a little bit. And then finally, I see one of those blue signs that says, you know, there's a gas station. So I pull off. Little did I know that gas station was five miles on into town. So I had to drive on into town to get gas. By the time that I pulled into this gas station, I mean, I just breathed a sigh of re relief because I was like, I made it. And Allison is just smiling and cheesing because she knows she was right. And I was looking at her saying, don't say it. Don't you say it. So I got out of the car. I filled it with gas. She's waking up the kids. We're going to go get something to eat after that. And I get back in the car and she's still smiling. I'm like, don't say it. Don't say it. And so I turn around to the kids. I was like, okay, guys, you ready to go get something to eat? And Alex, my six-year-old goes, when are you going to start listening to mommy? She's normally right. And I'm like, she told him in that moment while I was filling up with gas, she told him. She threw me under the bus or under our SUV for that matter. She, she told him, but it doesn't matter how expensive the vehicle you drive may be. It doesn't matter what make or model it is. It doesn't matter how new or old it is. If it runs on gas, you're not going to get very far if your tank is empty. And we all know that to be the case when it comes to a car, a vehicle, but it's also true when it comes to life. If your emotional tank, spiritual tank, physical tank, social tank is on empty, you're not going to get very far. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that the world has a way of draining us of life, depleting us. And so Jesus said on one occasion in John 10 verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, I have come so that you can live a full life, a whole life, a complete life. God doesn't want us living a half-life or a life that's been depleted by sin, been drained by this world. God doesn't want us running on empty. God wants us running on full and Jesus shows us how to do that, how to live life on full. Let me put it this way. Jesus came so you could live a healthy, engaged, authentic, and fully charged life. That's why he came. So you could live a healthy, engaged, authentic, fully charged life. But let me ask, does that describe you? Do those words there? Do they describe how you're living right now? Healthy, engaged, authentic, fully charged? Because, you know, when I talk to people and I ask them, how you doing? If they don't give me the pat answer of I'm fine or I'm good or I'm great, you know, if they actually are honest and transparent with me, 
What I hear a lot is, I'm getting by. I'm making it. I'm stressed. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm running on fumes. I'm running on empty. And Jesus came so that wouldn't have to be the case. In fact, Peter says this in 1 Peter. He says, God paid a ransom. Now, who is that ransom? Jesus on the cross, right? Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. To do what? To save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. See, the world around us, the culture around us, it's running on empty. That's the life that was handed down to you and handed down to me, an empty way of life, a life that drains you, that exhausts you, that wears you out and weighs you down. But Jesus came and redeemed us from that life so that we could live life to the full. And so that's what we're going to talk about in this series, running on full. We're going to look at the gauges and the dials of our heart and of our soul and make sure that we are living a healthy, engaged, authentic, fully charged kind of life, the life that Jesus died for us to live. So as we start this series, I think we need to start with one word, because as I read through the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Scripture, I think there's something that we all struggle with that I believe causes us to live an empty life. And it's this word, it's the word pace. Our culture is obsessed with speed. We want to live at rapid pace. I mean, that's what the world tells us. You just want to go, go, go and accomplish as much as you can in the short amount of time that you have. Our culture is obsessed with speed. And it's running at such a pace that it will wear you out. And here's the thing. The pace that the world expects us to run at isn't sustainable over time. In fact, this is how I like to illustrate it. Have you ever been to a gym or maybe you have a personal treadmill and you've, or you've seen a treadmill and somebody gets on it, you can run on a treadmill for a certain amount of time and you're fine. In fact, if you get a healthy rhythm, you can go for a long period of time. Now, you may have to take a break for a while and get back on, but if you're running at a healthy pace, a healthy rhythm, you can go for a long period of time. So you can run or jog or walk, whatever's comfortable for you, whatever is healthy for you. But have you ever seen somebody in a gym that wants to show off or maybe just be a goofball and they crank the treadmill up to as fast as it can possibly go, and they see how long they can go on it. They can run with it for a few seconds, maybe, but eventually they crash and burn, kind of like the guys in this video right here. Take a look. You can run at an unhealthy pace for a little bit of time, but eventually you're going to crash and burn. And that's true not just on a treadmill, that's true in life. And I want to admit something to you today. I want to be transparent with you. I struggle with running a healthy pace in life. I really do. I'm probably the least qualified person to talk about pace or taking rest. Because I don't do it well. I'm always way too busy. I always have way too much on my plate. I struggle to say no to people. And when I do say no, I feel really bad about it. feel guilty almost about it. 
I cram way too much into my schedule, have way too much on my agenda. I'm probably the least qualified person to talk about this subject of moving running at a healthy pace. So why am I doing it? Am I just a hypocrite standing up here before you? Well, maybe. No, I'm preaching on this subject because most of the time when I preach, I'm preaching at myself. I'm preaching something that I need to hear as well. And I bet I'm not the only one that needs to hear a sermon on this subject. In fact, I think Jesus knew we all needed to hear about this subject. That's why in Matthew chapter 11, one day Jesus was preaching to a crowd of people. and Listen to what he says. He says, come to me, all you who are tired and are carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Let me just ask, are you tired? Does that describe you? If I were to take a quick poll right now and have you raise your hands, don't do it. But if I were to ask you, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you exhausted? Would you raise your hand? If I were to ask you, are you carrying a heavy load right now? Do you feel weighed down by something right now? I wonder how many hands would go up. I bet it would be a bunch. Because I think we're living in a season right now where people feel more depleted than ever, more exhausted than ever, more drained than ever, more tired than ever, more frustrated than ever, more anxious than ever. You know, when this whole COVID-19 thing happened, or started at least, we were all kind of stressed out about it and concerned about it, worried about it, but we thought it won't last very long. At least that's what I thought. I remember when we first decided to move our services completely online, because that's what everybody was telling us to do, I thought, this will go for a few weeks, and then we'll come back, and we'll be back by Easter, and we'll have a big celebration. That's what I thought. And here we are months later, and yeah, things have improved somewhat, but we're still there there's still so much uncertainty and the pandemic is still going on. And the longer this goes, the more frustrated we get, the more anxious we get, the more tired and exhausted we get. I mean, how many of you right now cringe just when you hear the word COVID, right? We're living in a season when people are just tired. And here's the thing, exhaustion and stress well, that leads to other unhealthy behavior. Let me give an example of that. I was talking with a friend of mine this week, and he was reminding me of this. He was saying, you know, anger, anger oftentimes is not the root issue. A lot of times anger in our lives is a result of a bigger, deeper issue. It's kind of like when a light comes on in your car, in your dashboard. That light is warning you of a bigger problem. The light itself is not the problem. The light is just warning you that something isn't right. And if your only focus is, hey, I got to get that light to turn off, and that's all you care about, then you're missing the bigger problem. And that's how it works with anger. A lot of times when we get angry, it's a result of frustration or exhaustion or loneliness, or selfishness, or some other bigger issue at play. And that's what exhaustion does. Exhaustion is a gateway to unhealthy behavior. God knows this. Jesus knows this. And that's why Jesus says, come. Come to me, all you who are tired and who are carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. See, what Jesus wants to do is Jesus wants to help us recover a healthy rhythm for life. 
And I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't scold those who are tired or make fun of those who are carrying heavy loads or criticize those who are exhausted. He doesn't do that. Instead, notice what he says. Come to me. Because he knows what's described here is what the world does to us. When you live the way of life that the world offers you, this is what happens. You get tired. You carry heavy loads. You get weary. You get exhausted. You get worn out. He knows that's what the world does to us. That's what sin does to us. And so Jesus says, if that's where you are, that's okay. It's okay to admit you're tired. It's okay to admit you're exhausted. It's okay to admit you're worn out. It's okay to admit you're frustrated. It's okay to admit you're not okay because when you admit you're not okay, that's when Jesus, that's when Jesus shows us how to live a healthier pace of life. And Jesus had to let one of his friends, closest friends, know how to live a healthier pace of life in Luke chapter 10, and that's what we're going to study today. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me, Luke chapter 10, and that's where we're going to be. See, outside of Jesus' 12 disciples who followed him around everywhere he went, Jesus' closest friends were actually three siblings. They were named Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they... Uh, they were people that spent a lot of time with Jesus. Jesus spent extended amounts of time in their home. In fact, they lived in a village called Bethany, and he would often go there and stay with them before he would go to Jerusalem. He was really close with this family. And we're going to look in Luke chapter 10 on one of these early encounters that Jesus has with these three siblings. And one of those siblings needed to look at the pace that she was living at, needed to examine her life. And so let's read and see what happens. Luke 10, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now let's hit pause here for a second. What we need to understand, what we need to know is that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, for that matter, they have a pretty popular guest in their home. There's no figure right now who's more popular than Jesus. Everybody knows who he is, and he is staying in their home. That's a big deal. And in this day and age, hospitality was a huge deal. Showing proper hospitality was essential. In fact, if you did not show a guest proper hospitality, your entire community would shame you. I mean, it was a huge deal to show proper respect to a guest. Guest. And so they've got this big figure, this well-known guy, this popular rabbi named Jesus with them, and everybody knows that Jesus is teaching in their house, and Martha wants to make sure that Jesus is taken care of. She's busy running around trying to make sure that the table is set and the candles are lit and the food is prepared. She's busy trying to make sure that everybody's feet gets washed and that everybody feels comfortable. She wants to be a good host because that's what her culture tells her she needs to do. And so she's trying to, she's trying to please the expectations that everyone has for her. And for that matter, she's probably trying to impress Jesus and his disciples. And while Martha is busy running around trying to make sure that everything is prepared and ready to go, her sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach. Because again, Jesus is teaching in the house at this point. 
Apparently, these siblings had some money and they had a pretty large home. And Jesus is teaching in their house. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, hanging on every word, listening to what he has to say. So I want you to understand the contrast here. Martha is trying to impress Jesus. Mary is trying to get to know Jesus. Now, at first glance, if you haven't read this passage before, you might side with Martha. I know I have a tendency sometimes to side with Martha and say, well, yeah, we get it. We understand. We know what it's like not to get any help, right? And we know what it's like to try to impress somebody and do whatever we can in order to make somebody feel at home or at ease or comfortable, and then it doesn't work out the way we want it to. We understand what it's like to try to win someone else's approval or convince somebody else of something. We get what that's like, and we also know what it's like to work really hard and get no help whatsoever. That's why I hated group projects in college and high school, because we'd have a group project, and one or two of us would do all the work and everybody else would just be lazy and they would sit around and do nothing and then they would get the same grade that we would get who worked hard. I hated that, you know. And that's why sometimes I side with Martha in this passage. I get it. When Martha turns to Jesus and says to him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. We might think that Jesus might side with her. Now, I get it. Martha's tone here isn't great. I mean, she's kind of, I mean, look at what she says. Lord, don't you care? Of course Jesus cares. He's Jesus. And I mean, come on, you know. So her tone isn't great. But also notice what else she does. She says, tell her to help me. She's telling Jesus what to do. Side note, if you're ever in a situation where you're telling God what to do, you might want to check your heart, okay? Just FYI, food for thought. But anyway, her tone isn't great. She's telling God what to do here in the moment. But still, we might think Jesus would understand where she's coming from. To where Jesus might kind of roll his eyes a little bit at Martha and be, okay, Martha, your tone isn't great, but yeah, I get it. Mary, you've sat here long enough. Go help your sister. She needs some help. But that's not what Jesus does. Instead, Mary, uh, Jesus says nothing to Mary. Jesus talks to Martha. And look at what he says to her. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, why does Jesus respond like that? It's probably not what any of us expected if we're reading this passage for the first time. Why does Jesus respond like that? See, what Martha was doing wasn't necessarily bad, She was practicing proper hospitality. That's a good thing. She wanted Jesus to feel welcome and comfortable. She wanted to even impress Jesus. That's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but in trying to practice proper hospitality, she missed what was more important in that moment. She missed, as Jesus says, what was better. And here's the thing. Sometimes in life, the choices we make are not a choice, are not choices between what's good and bad, even though we have to make those choices sometimes. Sometimes the choices we have to make is what's good and what's better. Because sometimes good things can get in the way of doing what's best. Sometimes good things, even what God intended for our good, can get in the way of who he is calling us to be. And that's what's going on here. Martha is busy trying to impress Jesus. 
And Jesus is saying, just slow down and get to know me. Just slow down and listen to this truth that I'm teaching right now, this gospel message that can change your life. Just slow down. And what's interesting to me is that Luke uses a word to describe Martha that you've probably heard before. It's a word distracted. But this comes from a Greek word, perispio, and it literally means to drag around. So what Martha here is doing is she is dragging around something that's holding her back. It's the idea of dragging around something that's encumbering you, that's keeping you from doing what you need to do. And Martha in this moment is dragging around all these cultural expectations. She's dragging around all these traditions. She's dragging around um, the thought that she wants to impress people or whatever else. She's dragging around all this stuff, and it's keeping her from doing what she needs to do in the moment, and that is listen to Jesus and get to know him. And I can identify with Martha because I've been there. There have been seasons in my life when I've been held back from doing what God wants me to do, from being the person God wants me to be, from realizing the truth that God wants me to realize, from seeing what God wants me to see because I'm dragging around stuff that's just weighing me down. And sometimes that stuff that's weighing me down isn't necessarily sinful. It can be. But sometimes it's just not what's best for me in that moment. And so my question is, why do we do it? Why do we continue to run around and chase after what the world chases after and not go after what's best for us, what we know God wants us to go after? I mean, Normally, when I preach a sermon like this, most people agree with me. If I were to take a poll right now and say, how many of you guys need to slow down right now and realize what's most important in life? Probably every hand would go up, right? But yet when I get done preaching, people walk out the door and they continue to run at the same pace they've been running at. And they don't slow down at all. It makes no difference in their life. So my question is, why do we do it? Why? Why, do we, why are we tempted to run so fast through life? I think it's because we feel like we lack something. We feel like we're missing something. We're missing out on something. So we got to run fast in order to catch and capture whatever it is that we feel like we lack. And we think if we can just capture whatever that is, then we would feel rest deep within our soul. Then we would feel contentment deep within our hearts. And so we think, hey, if I could just get the respect that I believe I deserve, then I could lay my head down at night and be at total rest. If I could just achieve this goal or accomplish this goal, then I could have some rest. If I could just date the right person and get married, then I could find rest. If I could just have kids, then I could find rest. If I could just have the right amount of money in my bank account or get hired for the perfect job or if I could live in the right neighborhood in the right type of house, then I could find rest. If I could just have this or do this or go there or be with these people, then I could find rest. The problem is if that's where you're looking for rest... Rest is always going to be a moving target. Because the only way to find lasting rest, eternal rest, rest that lives deep within our souls forever, the only place to find that is in Jesus. In fact, our hearts will always be restless 
until we find rest in Jesus. And that's what Martha needed to realize. Yeah, she may have impressed a lot of people with her hospitality. She could have impressed a lot of people with her hospitality that day. But that wasn't going to bring her lasting contentment, lasting satisfaction, lasting rest. What she needed in that moment was Jesus. And I believe this encounter we see here with Jesus and Mary and Martha, I think it can teach us a whole lot about living a healthy rhythm, living out a healthy rhythm, living a healthy pace in life. And so there are a few things that I learned from this text, and maybe they can help you out as well. And the first thing that I learned is this. We need to learn to hit pause. We need to learn to take a break, to rest when we need to rest, because we can't just keep going all the time. We weren't created to keep going all the time. We need to learn how to hit pause. Now, that's odd for us to hear because we've been programmed in our culture to idolize busyness. In fact, if somebody walks up to you on any given day and asks, hey, what have you done today? We feel the need to list off a whole bunch of stuff. And if we don't have a whole bunch of stuff to say, then we feel bad that we haven't been as busy as we should have been. Our people expect us to be. So we idolize busyness and slowing down and taking breaks. And I mean, that's for the lazy. That's for the underachiever. That's for those people who are weak. I mean, haven't you ever heard somebody say, hey, I will rest when I die, and they mean that? We've probably all heard that. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that God designed us to take regular and intentional breaks, times of rest. Look back at the creation account in the book of Genesis. When God created everything, he created it in what? Six days, right? And on the seventh day, do you remember what the Bible says? On the seventh day, it says that God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. Now, why did God rest from all of his work on the seventh day? He didn't need to. God doesn't get tired. He's God. So why did he rest on the seventh day? To set as an example, so that from the very beginning, rest would be built into our regular rhythm for life. And then when we get to the book of Exodus and God gives his people the law, if you remember one of the Ten Commandments, in one of the Ten Commandments, God requires rest. Look at what it says in the book of Exodus. God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It's interesting to me that out of all the Ten Commandments, this is the only one that has the word remember in it. You know why? Because God knew this is the one we would forget. <laughs> he doesn't say remember not to kill <laughs> or something like that. He says remember to regularly rest. That word Sabbath actually means to stop. Take time to stop, to hit pause. And when we hit pause, I believe there are two things that we need to do. First of all, we need to hit pause to pray. And what I mean by that is we need to hit pause to spend time with God. Because here's the thing, it doesn't matter what else you do, it doesn't matter how often you pause, if you're not taking regular times with God, you're never going to have the rest that you're looking for. So every single day, take a few minutes to hit pause and acknowledge God and spend some time with Him. And every single week, take an extended amount of time. Sunday's a good day to do it, right? Take an extended amount of time with God. Hit pause. Spend time with Him. But then also hit pause to play. What I mean by that is do activities that physically replenish you. Because we all have certain things that fill up our buckets, so do God-honoring activities <laughs> that fill you up, that replenish you physically. And maybe that's some hobby, maybe that's some activity, maybe spending time with certain people, but do something that fills you up. Maybe it's just taking a nap 
If you have a short fuse right now, maybe your short fuse needs to be replaced with a long nap, honestly. Amen. <laughs> For me, you know what fills up my bucket? Spending time with my family. Nothing fills me up more than that. When I get home from a long day and my kids run up to me and give me a hug and tell me that they missed me, and I look at Allison and she gives me that look that only she can give me, nothing fills me up more than that. This past Monday, I had a pretty rough day, stressful day. Honestly, I just felt beat up, honestly. And I got home that evening, and my kids and Allison, they were out in the backyard, and she had blown up their kitty swimming pool, about an eight-foot-long swimming pool, and Alex and Addie were in it playing. And Addie looked at me, and she said, Daddy, you want to get in and play with me? And normally, I'd be like, no, I'll just stay out and, you know, watch you or play with you from the outside. I was going to get in this kitty pool. And for some reason, in that moment, I thought, that's what I need to do. I said, you betcha. And I went and put on my trunks, and I hopped in the kiddie pool with them. And I played Barbies with Addie. They were diving in the pool and all that good stuff. Alex and I had competitions of how long we could hold our breath, you know. And we played in that pool for over an hour, and it was so much fun. And let me tell you, it filled me up. Allison laughed. She laughed at me the entire time. And that filled me up as well, seeing her laugh like that. Nothing fills me up like spending time with my kids. Do whatever it is for you that replenishes you physically. Now, also, I think we can learn from this passage that we need to identify unhealthy pressure in life. Martha, she was carrying around pressure that God didn't want her to carry around. She was trying to impress everybody and please everybody, and God didn't want her to carry around that pressure. Instead, he just wanted her to spend time with his son. And here's the thing. Martha had a performance-based mindset. She thought that her identity was based on her performance, on perfectionism, on being perfect. And if you live with that type of mindset, you will end up feeling fatigued and drained. And that's what our culture wants us to do. I mean, social media, it fuels that fire. Social media, people put up pictures of themselves, and you look at people's lives on social media, you think, man, I want that. And there's all this pressure to be like everybody else, to have what everybody else has, to go on trips like everybody else goes on, to have relationships like what everybody else has. There's all this pressure to be like everybody else. But here's the thing. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Social media is extremely deceptive because people only put up the pictures they want you to see it's kind of like this. When you go to a fast food restaurant and they're advertising a hamburger, and you look at that hamburger and you say, boy, that looks good. That's appetizing. Yeah, I'm going to order that. I'm going to buy that. And then you go and you buy it and you open up the wrapper and this is what you get. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That is social media right there, okay? So don't get weighed down by all this external pressure that people are placing on you that is completely unnecessary, that God doesn't want weighing you down. And then last, I think we learn from this passage that we need to find people who will be honest with us. Find people who will be honest with you. Martha needed someone to look her in the eye and say what she didn't want to hear. Martha needed someone to look her in the eye and say, you're distracted right now. You're weighed down by something right now that shouldn't be weighing you down. And that person in the moment happened to be Jesus. Now, I get it. You're not going to go out to lunch today and have lunch physically with Jesus. I get that. But you need godly friends in your life, godly people in your life who will speak Jesus' words to you, who will lovingly speak Jesus' truth to you. So that when you need to slow down, they're going to let you know it. When you need to make some change in your life, they're going to let you know it. When they see a warning sign that you don't see, they're going to let you know it. Godly friends do that. 
I tell you what, I don't want friends who are just always going to agree with me. <laughs> I don't want friends who are just going to say, hey, Chad, everything you're doing is great and fine and wonderful. You just keep going down that path. I want friends who are going to think spiritually. And when they see me going in a direction that might be dangerous, they're going to give me a warning. That's what godly friends do. And they do that even if it means risking the friendship to do it because they love that person so much. As a lead team, our lead staff team, we've been reading a book together. It's entitled The Motive. It's Patrick Lencioni's, Lencioni's latest book. And I've read several of his books. He's a great author on leadership. He's a secular author, so I don't agree with everything he says in here. Some of his language isn't the best, but still, we were reading this book, and he's got some great leadership principles. And one thing that I read just the other day stood out to me. He writes these words. He says, it is very, very difficult for any leader, even the most humble of them, to avoid letting constant approval and admiration create a warped and inaccurate self-image. This is why it is so important for leaders to surround themselves with people who will be honest with them. And I think that's not just true for leaders. It's true for all of us. We need to surround ourselves with people who will lovingly be honest with us. I had a phone conversation with a guy this week, a friend of mine who lives in a different state, and I told you I had kind of a rough week, a rough Monday, and so I was talking to him. He knew something was up. He didn't know the details, but he told me on the phone. He said, Chad, I don't know everything that's going on, but I just want to remind you of a truth that has always helped me out, and it's this. God is God, and you are not. And he said, I don't say that to criticize you. I say it to give you some hope and some peace. You don't have to figure this out. Turn it over to God. And he actually had me on the phone say that out loud. God is God, and I am not. Maybe we should say that today. You want to say it with me on the count of three? God is God and I am not. Here we go. One, two, three. God is God and I am not. We need people in our lives that are going to constantly remind us of that. So that we know we don't have to live to please the standards of this world, but we're living in his grace and he loves us for who we are. Because we're his. Because we belong to his son. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me. All you who are tired and who are carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Guys, if you're tired or carrying a heavy load today, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't keep running at the same pace you've been running at. Instead, just come to Jesus. Turn your tiredness over to him. Turn your heavy load over to him, and he will give you rest. But here's the thing. In order to have that rest, in order to live life on full, you gotta take time to get to know him first. He's here. He wants to know you and give you the rest that your soul is looking for. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and this time we had to open up your word and study it. May we be a people who live life on full and we know the only way to do that is to do it by living life with your son. Thank you for paying the price of our sins on the cross so that we wouldn't have to run on empty, but so we could be redeemed from that way of life. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.